Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to start off in the book of John, and I want to talk about a subject this morning, one another, one another, amen? Some weeks ago, we looked at a word, this word, relationship. You remember that, those of you who are here, and uh, what it means to believers and the church. Now, relationship goes hand in hand with the word fellowship, okay? What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Uh, David said in Psalms 133.1, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren, I believe in the sisterin, to dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Paul talks about us having the same mind, and that is the mind of Christ. Amen. So it is an absolute necessity that we fellowship and dwell together. I was sharing something with my wife this morning. I was talking with some folks, and there was a, there was a young man who's, who was in the Air Force, went to Decatur Central High School, and uh, he was over in Guam, and some of you may have heard about it on the news, and he uh, lost his life over there. Uh, it wasn't um, military-related. He just, you know, uh, drowned or you know, whatever it was, I don't know all the details, but I work with a good friend of his, and uh, his, his good friend went to school with him, this young man, and uh, his mom also works there, and we were having a discussion about this, and we began to talk about this. He was very sad. He was very, uh, you know, distraught, and so obviously I used the opportunity to, to talk to him about, you know, this, is, this really brings to the forefront of your own mortality, doesn't it? It makes you think some, about some things, and anyway, we got on the subject of that and salvation, and we got on the subject of church. And uh, his mom is a friend of ours. You know, she's been over our house uh, with some other other uh, people. And uh, she came to our church one day that uh, we had up in Indy. And um, she's been exposed to church and that type of thing. But it was interesting to me. We began to talk about it. And I asked her, I said, what, why don't you go to church every Sunday? Just kind of what keeps you out of church? Because all I hear from you is, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. You like it. You know who God is type of thing. Well, how, what, what keeps you out of church? And you know what she said? She said, well, I don't like going to church because people want to get my phone number and they want me to bake cookies. <laughs> and, I, and I think, and, you know, we were talking about that this morning, and she, she likes being around people. It's not the fellowship, but I think it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of the way, you know, church people, you know, most of you here probably are, you know, church people. Some may not be. But church people, we kind of have our own vernacular, you know, our own way, kind of our own culture. Now, let me tell you something about that. One thing about that is it's absolutely biblical because we are pilgrims, right? Uh, we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of what? Anybody know what we are citizens of? kingdom of God absolutely that's where our citizenship lies and so we're a peculiar people and we will be different right and I do not believe that we have to be of the world to be in the world or to influence the world right Jesus was different yet he went over Matthew's house and he talked to sinners and you know he ministered to folks who didn't love the Lord uh, but he still remained Jesus come on right and uh, so I don't believe that we have to compromise but at the same time, we have to be careful not to be so different that our nose is up in the air. We turn our back on the needs of the people, right? So there's got to be a balance in that somewhere. 
And Jesus actually commanded us to have fellowship. You know, you cannot hide from fellowship. You can want to be, you know, Jesus and me alone, you know, but uh, you're actually out of the will of God if you do that. You know that? He commanded us to have fellowship. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about one another. Jesus talked about one another. And I want to focus in briefly this morning on four aspects, if you will, of one another. I want to talk about four one another's, okay? So if you have your Bible and you're, you're at uh, the book of John, I want to talk about the first one another here is going to be love one another. Jesus said that we should what? Love one another. And so the scripture, go ahead and put it up there, uh, Beth, the scripture here in John 13, 34 uh, says this. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love what? One another as I have loved you, that you also love who? One another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for who? One another. Now, Jesus here had told the disciples that he would depart and he would not be with them any, uh, you know, in a little while, he would not be with them any longer. This is that time in their relationship when he gave them this commandment, okay? He said, I'm about to go to the Father. I won't be with you. They didn't quite understand all of that. And what is interesting to me in this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is out of all of the things that he could have ministered. Now, he's about to leave them. They'll never know him the way that they know him presently. They know him in the flesh. The Bible says we have touched him. We hug him. We eat with him. We know him just like I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. And in a little while, they will never know him again like this. Things are going to change. And out of all of the things that Jesus could have talked to them about and shared with them about the change and about what's coming, what he commanded them was that you love one another. Out of all the things he could have said, he gave them a new commandment. And he said, listen, I command you that you love one another. Another And so love is the first one another. In fact, it is the reason for all of the other one another's. Come on. It is the one distinguishing mark of being his disciples. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. No other way. How do we know that you are a disciple of Christ? Because you can quote scripture. How do we know that you love the Lord? Because you have the right vernacular, you speak in tongues, you know how to lay hands on people. How do we know that you are a disciple of Christ? Jesus made it very simple. He didn't say it matters about all the scripture that you know and have memorized. He said that you love one another. Shall all men know that you are my disciples by this Will they know that you are my disciples? Jesus even identifies love for one another as the one telltale sign. Oh, my goodness, that person must be a Christian. Must be. He identifies this love differently than any other love. Now, it's interesting. He said it is a new commandment. But listen, 
the Old Testament gives this command to people. And so technically, it's not the first time we see that you should love your brother in Scripture. So then how does it become a new commandment? Well, I'll tell you. He tells us. What makes it new? What makes it new is he said we are to love one another as I love you. And see, we hadn't seen that love. We've seen the love of God in the Old Testament, of course. He brought them through the Red Sea, and he provided manna for them. We can name situation after situation where God did something for his people, but now we come to a point in the God-man relationship where God is actually dwelling with you as flesh. He's hurting like you. He's hungry like you are. He's tempted in all points just like you and I are, and yet he loves you. And now he says, you must love one another as, as, as I love you. And so if we want to know how to have real love, we must see how Jesus loved us with an unconditional love. Come on. I remind you my definition of love, and there can be many definitions of love. One of the things I, I do like about the Greek language is they're, they're very uh, unambiguous very often. Okay, there's no word love in the Greek language. There are specific words, phileo, you know what I mean, right? Agape, you've heard that word before. And so what do you, when you say you love me, what does that mean, you love me? They're very specific. I phileo you. I agape you. I have an unconditional love for you. I love that about the Greek language. Unconditional love is a love based on commitment to another person. Interesting story here. A newspaper columnist and and minister, George Crane, tells of a wife who once came into his office. She was full of hatred for her husband. I won't ask you to raise your hands, wives, if you've been there, but I do not only want to get rid of him, she says, but I want to get even. Come on now. Now, I know some of you are going to woo, but come on now. You know the, the, the enemy's tempted you with that. Don't admit it. Don't admit it. But she said, before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. This is a person who's been hurt. And you might say, well, she's just evil, but we don't know the backstory and how she's been hurt, okay? I'm not giving, uh, I'm not saying it's okay for her to feel that way, but I'm telling you, this is how people hurt each other. Well, Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. He said, well, go home and act as if you really loved your husband. Tell him how much He means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him and to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then go ahead and drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce. Now that, if you want to hurt him, that'll really hurt him. And she said, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to set him up. So with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and she exclaimed, beautiful, beautiful. What a wonderful plan. Will he ever be surprised? 
And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, caring, compassion, giving, reinforcing, sharing, all of these things. Well, time went by, and when she didn't return, Dr. Crane called and said, Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered that I really love him. (laughs) You see, her actions changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. Come on. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often as repeated deeds. What, what is he trying to say here? What he's trying to tell us is that love is a lot more than just emotion. Come on, somebody. Because I don't feel like I love you every day. And you may not even do anything. I just may have got up today and just don't feel right. But those are the things we have to overcome. Come on. If love were based on emotion... I don't think there would be anybody here right now. Either God would have killed us all or we would have killed each other. Come on. God's been emotional with us. Come on. I mean, he he wiped out man once except for a few. Thank the Lord. Something was in there that said, I'll leave a few. And he wanted to do it again. Had not Abraham stood in the way, well, will you save the town if I find 50? If I find 40, if I find 30, if I find, Lord said, yeah, give me three or four. But love is this way. (laughs) In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, do not waste your time bothering, listen to this now, bothering whether you love your neighbor. Do I really love my neighbor? Just act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him or her. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them more. Did you know that? If you do him good, a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. It's true. Try it out. And so Jesus tells us, in fact, Jesus doesn't ask us, he commands us, that you love one another. If you claim today to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must follow his commandment that we love one another. And that's where he stops. There's no stipulations about if they love me or if they do me right or only on Thursdays. No, he said love one another. The second one another is to encourage one another. We must encourage one another. If we love one another as Jesus commands, we will want to help each other become the very best. How do we accomplish this in God's will and his way? We encourage one another. Even in correction. You ever seen somebody going down the wrong path and it just kind of got on your nerves, it got under your skin, maybe it's a family member and you're ready to be through with them? And you just want to give them a piece of your mind or you want to tell them off and those types of things. 
what God is trying to tell us, what Jesus is telling us, is that even in correction, your whole motive, your whole motivation is for that other person to be restored and to be better. And if you have any other motivation, you are out of the will of God. Even though you're right, I have righteous indignation. Come on now. I can quote scripture. I can do the whole thing. But he's not talking about quoting scripture here. What he's talking about is your attitude and your motive toward each other. And he says we need to encourage one another. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Book of Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse number 12. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this. He says, beware, brethren, lest there be any, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But, in other words, instead of that, exhort one another. How often? Daily. While it is called today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Lord, put somebody on your heart. Put somebody on your mind. Come on, I'm guilty of this. Give them a call right then. Listen, I just wanted to encourage you. You were just on my mind. I just wanted to encourage you, tell you I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Man, I'm guilty of that. But as Scripture said, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so I want to let you know that today, you're not hearing my voice, you hear the voice of the Lord saying encourage one another. I'm hearing it as well. And so now we can't escape it <laughs> because we've heard it. He's telling us to encourage one another. This phrase, let us consider, it's a Greek word that means to diligently and actively consider another's trials and temptations and problems. You see, it's much more than compassion. Some may say, well, compassion is enough. I have compassion. Have compassion for the lost. Have compassion for the sick. I have compassion for the weak. You know what compassion will make you do? Compassion will make you pray for them. Compassion will make you pause. Say la. Compassion will make you say, boy, I just wish that things were better for them. You know what empathy will do? Empathy will cause you to move to action. To not say, oh, I feel for them, but to go and help them. To not just pray for them from afar, but to call them on the phone, to go over their house, to hold hands and pray with them. And say, yes, I've been there. I know someone who's been there. And you can make it through this face to face. That's what empathy will do. And that is what God is encouraging us to do, to encourage one another. And the word spur or provoke here in some translations means to excite or to stir up in someone in the love of God and doing his will. In other words, you want to excite that other person to go out now and, and hold their head up. You don't want to just, see, it's not just something that you can check off your list. Well, you know, Sister Patty, she's feeling kind of down. So the right thing to do, because I'm a Christian, would be to go over and say, Sister Patty, I know you're feeling down. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. All right, now, where are we going to dinner? Right? 
No, empathy is, it's, it's actually, it's, it's both emotional and it's purposeful. And when you leave, your whole goal is to make sure that she feels a different way than when you first started talking to her. See, it's a little more than what we think when he says, encourage one another. Encourage one another. The word encourage means to build up or strengthen. And by the way, this is not just the people that you like. Come on. He's not just talking about the people in your circle or the ones that you like or the ones that are nice to you. When he said one another, he means one another. He means all of those who are the household of faith. Every last one of them. All of us, we need to encourage one another. When we come together as a body of believers, our primary task is to love and encourage. That's why we're here. It carries the idea of helping an individual become what they are to become in God's kingdom. And so you actually feel for that other person because they're not where they should be. And you want to, what can I do to help you get? Is it about discipleship? Come on, what is it about? What can I do to get you there? Praying with you, sharing scripture with you. What is it that I can do? And your whole concern is that because we're not complete as a body of Christ until we're all complete as a body of Christ. If one of us is not complete, why do you think Jesus talked about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go see the one? Because the flock is not complete if the one is out there. All of us have to be in, even the black sheep, even the one you don't like. Come on. We must encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Everyone needs recognition for their accomplishments. But few people make the need known quite as clearly as the little boy who said to his father, Let's play darts. I'll throw the darts and you say, wonderful. <laughs> People don't make it known that way, do they? So we have to know to say, wonderful. You're doing a good job. When we gather as the church, we are to love one another, excite, encourage, and stir each other up so that we will do the Lord's will in our lives Worship, Bible study, and other activities. Listen, we are there in those activities to build relationships that will lead to a believer's success. A believer's success in following the Lord. William Arthur, Arthur Ward said this. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. You want someone to never forget you? Encourage them. Encourage them. And then number three, you see it up there, is to forgive one another. We must, must. Come on, saints. We must forgive one another. Forgiving one another is more than lip service, just like all of these one another's are. I forgive you, but what about your heart? Shall we reflect and really look at your heart? I forgive you. Words out of the mouth. But is the heart changed? Ephesians 4.32 says this. Paul told the church at Ephesus, he said, And be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even, now here's the kicker, you were all right till this statement, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now that was some forgiveness. Uh, do you remember the cross? Do you remember reading about it? If you didn't read about it, did you at least see Passion of the Christ? That doesn't even do it justice as to what really happened. Come on. I'm telling you, for someone to have the sins of the world on their shoulders, all past sin, all present sin, and any sin that would be committed in the future, come on, to have all of that on their shoulders, that, my friends, is some forgiveness. How much more should we then forgive one another for the things that we do to one another? We must forgive. Here's a thought, a phrase, a saying we all know, not only as Christians, but mostly everyone realizes that forgiveness is necessary. The problem for us comes when we have to stop talking about it and start doing it. Not long before she died in 1988, a moment of surprising candor in television, a woman, Margarita Lasky, she was a secular humanist, and she was a novelist, and she said this. She said, what I envy most, now this is moments before she died, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Little did she know. She died that way. Any relationship, folks, saints, people, Friends will have its moments. Come on. Church relationships are no exception. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, we are saved. We are no longer sinners. But we don't always follow the new man. Paul said, put on the new man. And then, but then Paul said something that was very interesting. And talking about himself, he said, I die every day. Every day I wake up, I got I to gotta die, I got to kill that old man again. Why? Because it's a slow death, folks. The cross is a slow death. And we, we, give, that, we give that old man life very, too often. We need to let him die. It's a slow death. Paul said, I die daily. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so that flesh man is still there, though that's not us anymore. You are a new creature. But Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? One day I'll shed this thing. Come on. We'll be changed and we'll be like him in the twinkling of an eye. But as for now, we battle. As for now, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Because the kingdom of God, they look, is it over here? Is it over there? No, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink. But it is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And the kingdom of God is in you. And so we must violently take the kingdom of God. Where? Out there? No, in you. We must battle this man. So as long as we have to do that, we're going to disappoint each other. We're going to offend each other. I'm not prophesying to you about that. I'm just telling you that's what happens. But what I will prophesy is you are going to forgive one another. I'm going to forgive you and you are going to forgive me.
We must do it if we're following Christ. Come on. Believers are no different from anyone else in the flesh. Now, when we start following the new man like we should, then we'll be that peculiar people that God called us to. Then we'll be that ecclesia and we'll walk in it. And we're getting there. I believe it. What makes us different from the rest of the sinful fallen world is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are loved. We are forgiven by Jesus Christ. He is the difference in our life. Even so, this flesh is flawed and marred. Colossians 3, 12, 13 says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies. He's saying put them on because guess what? You don't have them naturally. You might think you do, but you don't. Come on, let somebody really offend you. And then you'll find out what you really have. (laughs) He says put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on long-suffering with each other. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, Paul said. And these are the words of the Holy Ghost through Paul. So also you must do. You must do it. Have to do it. God is imploring us today. Imploring. By the way, that word imploring means to beg earnestly or desperately to do something. And I believe God is imploring us while it is called today to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Christ did it for you. How can you not forgive as the Lord forgave you? And over all these virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word bear or forbear in the Greek means holding yourselves back from each other. In other words, when you're angry and you want to, it's showing restraint. Bear with the other person. One commentary said avoiding all occasions of irritating or provoking each other. We do not get into situations or events that will intentionally provoke often. Or irritate another believer, but we find ourselves there, disappointing each other. And I am sure that at some point, you will get your feelings hurt. If you're a human being, at some point, we can try as much as we try not to. We do. Someone will say something you don't like. Someone will irritate you. But as believers, we are mandated to forgiveness. As Jesus forgave us. And can I tell you something? There was absolutely nothing that was left unforgiven at the cross. So we cannot choose what we forgive. Because Jesus left nothing at the cross. You heard these sports terms where they go out there and they play and they say, well, he left it all on the field. Or he left it all on the court. Or he left, you know, that means everything that that person had, they gave that day. Or they left it all on the stage for a performer, you know. They gave everything that they couldn't have given anymore. All that they had, they gave. That's what Christ did at the cross. Every minute, little, hidden, secret sin, all of it, was forgiven and laid at the foot of the cross. God wiped it away. 
with a crimson stain. And so therefore, we don't get to choose what we forgive from one another. I'll forgive you for that, but that, that right there, no, 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 that, that's just, it's too much. It's too much. That's right. Some people say it. But the Bible I'm reading says we don't have a choice but to forgive. You might not like it. It might not feel good. I mean, because that person really did you wrong. You ever been in a situation where someone did you wrong and you knew you had to forgive them, but you got no vindication? No one knew that you were right and they were wrong. The world goes on thinking that they were right. That's not right. Come on. That's just not right. I can tell you that if you are a person and you become part of this church, we agree to receive you as is, warts and all. <laughs> and you also agree to receive us as is. Come on. God will change us. It's our job to ish usher people to the presence of the Lord, not to change them. You can't do it. Come on. You might think you can, but the more you try to change somebody, the more you're going to drive them away. Only Christ can do that. We accept one another. Our eyes, why? Because our eyes are not on each other, but they're on Jesus. If this relationship is not right, this relationship won't be right. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said this. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. You hear this a lot, don't you? I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Well, yeah, I walk worthy of the calling. I'm walking worthy of the calling. Really? Because he said, walk it with all lowliness and gentleness. He said, walk it with long suffering. This is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. He said, bearing with one another. You want to walk in your calling? You're not fully walking in your calling if you're not doing this. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity. At all costs, we keep the unity of the faith. That's what Paul said. Unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Come on, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And so we must fight for the unity. That's worth fighting for. How easy is it to say, you know what? We just can't come to an agreement, so I'm just going to go to another church. We can't come to agreement, so I won't call you, you don't call me. You know, bless the Lord, everybody's happy. How easy is it? And it also sounds right. Sounds right to the world. If you can't get along, look, just say, that's it. You go your way, I'll go my way. Difficult. Difficult in the body of Christ to the flesh because Christ says can't do that. I don't know. Ain't no you go your way and I go my way. We're the same body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body. You can't go to the, I'm going to this body of Christ. You go to that body. You worship the way you want to worship too over in that body. 
and I'll be over in this body. When we get to heaven, we'll see who was right. Oh, come on now. That's what we're, that's what we're essentially doing. I mean, we're splitting up. That's what we're doing. Paul said, I'm not having any of it. He scolded the Corinthians for that. Scolded them. Yet we keep on going. Oh, yeah, it's okay, though. You know, we can, I can be over here and you can be over there. I don't know what Bible we're reading, but I'll move on. Lastly, last one another, serve one another. We must, must, must serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Paul says this, For you, brethren, have been called, called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, the New King James says. I even like the, the King James says, as a cloak of maliciousness. Don't use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. Come on. But as an opportunity for the flesh, don't use it for that, but through love, serve one another, he's saying. Instead of using your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, he's saying use your liberty, come on, as an opportunity to serve one another. That's the opportunity you should use it for. Why? For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love yourself? Maybe you don't love yourself. Do you love the Lord? Well, if you don't love the Lord, you won't properly love yourself. You'll think you'll do, but it'll be egotism. But you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. The same way you wouldn't let yourself suffer, don't allow your neighbor to suffer. Come on. What drastic measures would you go to to save yourself? What drastic steps would you take if you were suffering to give yourself relief? Well, here Paul says the same way you would do that. Do it for your neighbor. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. We're killing each other. Killing each other. If we claim to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we too will be servants. Because he was. We will serve one another. Jesus said, I have not come to serve. I have not come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that awesome? The Lord, the one who created you, he created you. He formed you, knew you before you were formed in the womb. And then in great reverence, he made you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And then there, lifeless, he blew the breath of life into you. And you became a living soul, a living being, a masterpiece. He took his time with you and made you. And all of that, after he did all of that, he said, now I'm going to come and be like you only to serve you. Who makes something only to serve it? You thought about that? Your God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb came to serve you. How much more should we serve each other? 
How much more? Should, if we claim to be the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have to be servants. Listen, in 1878, when William Booth's Salvation Army, heard of the Salvation Army? When he started it, he was beginning to, uh, it was beginning to make its mark. Men and women from all over the world began to enlist. One man who had once dreamed of becoming a bishop, he crossed the Atlantic from America all the way to England to enlist in this Salvation Army. His name was Samuel Bringle. He left a fine pastorate here in America to join Booth's army. Well, General Booth accepted his services, but it was reluctant and begrudgingly that he accepted him. Booth said to Bringo, he said, you've been your own boss for far too long. And in order to instill humility in Bringo, Booth set him to work cleaning the boots of other trainees. True story. Discouraged, Bringle said to himself, have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to black boots? And then in a vision, he saw Jesus bending over at the feet of the disciples, washing their rough, unlettered feet. And he said, Lord, he whispered, you wash their feet, I will black their shoes. He had a vision of the Lord, the almighty God, washing the feet of his creation. Can we not serve one another? First Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Mm. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Your gift is not for you. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, this world we live in teaches everyone to get to the top. The leadership position is the best. That's where I want to get to. Control, pride money and esteem they're all related to your position on the social and economic ladder jesus washed the feet of the disciples and he showed great esteem in a greater way actually it was the kingdom way come on the first will be last the last will be first the church is a group of people where a person is taught to strive to be chief servant. But our service is aimed at building up the body of Christ, the church. We serve one another voluntarily, folks. We serve one another out of love for one another, not to be seen. Did you know that you can be selfless yet still self-centered? You can say, yeah, I'm not selfish, of course. And you're not selfish because you give and you do things. But is it so that others will see you giving and doing things. It's called self-centeredness. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another, what? Out of the reverence for Christ. 
A.T. Pearson wrote this. He said, whatever is done for God without respect of its comparative character as related to other acts is service. And only that is service. Only that. Service is comprehensively speaking and doing the will of God. Where God is the object, all is for him, for his sake, as unto the Lord, not unto man. Hence, even the humblest act of the humblest disciple acquires a certain divine quality by its being done with reference to him. And all that you do, do for the glory of God, he's saying. It's a supreme service. Observe any children's nursery and you will see the prime examples of who we are really on the inside. We whine and cry for our needs to be met. We are jealous of others. We want what others have to the point of taking what another has. The good news is this, that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll take our selfish, hurtful self and turn us by his power into a kingdom child, not a self-centered, selfish child. Through him, we are forgiven. We are forgiven of all sin. Come on. Made into a new creation by his power, filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can begin learning and living to walk just as Jesus walked. Everything that we do for one another is because of what the Lord has already done for us. When we love one another, when we encourage one another, we forgive one another, when we serve one another, we do so because of our Lord's example and by his power. First step on that road is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Because without him, we wouldn't be able to do any of those things. And so, as we hear what Jesus is telling us about one another, we must now take a fresh look at our motivation. We must now take a fresh look at our motives and our heart, saints. We must now look inwardly. And so I would say to you, even as we fellowship today, even as we go downstairs today to fellowship one with another, let us always have on our mind the needs of others. You ever been in a conversation with someone and they're telling you about something maybe that's going on in their life, but all the while in your mind you're already thinking of a response to say to them, thereby not really hearing everything that they're saying to you. Here's our homework. It's our homework. There's so much that we could do, so much homework that we have. But here's just one little aspect of it. Here's what we need to do this Christmas season. Let us work on not only listening but hearing. Can you do that? As you talk to your friends, as you talk to your family, don't just listen but hear what they have to say. Hear what each other has to say in church with empathy and compassion and a desire to help build up and encourage that other person.